Nothing good can come of this. It's true. You shall not pass. Wow, you're in rare form today. I don't know. I have a lot, a lot of coffee this morning. Hey, welcome to episode 17 of On Taking Pictures. Uh, this is a weekly podcast. We talk about the art and the science and uh, even some, what else would you call it, Bill? Philosophy behind making pictures? I like philosophy. Philosophy is good. Mm-hmm. The, the sticky, gooey stuff that, that doesn't involve F-stops and millimeters and, and all that kind of thing. That could, uh, that could cover a lot of stuff, Jeffrey. <laughs> <laughs> I really need to rethink these things before I say them. Uh, so that, 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 that's what we're doing. That's, that's what we're talking about today. My name is Jeffrey Sidoris. I'm from FadedAndBlurred.com. And with me, Bill Wadman, editorial portrait photographer, Brooklyn, New York. I'm not fancy this week? You're fancy every week, mister. We've gotten multiple emails from people where they get <laughs> upset when you don't call me fancy. That's right. So, uh, should I should I do it again? No, no, no. That's fine. I think I think we're good. Hailing we're, from Brooklyn. What, what are you, some kind of fight announcer? That's, that's right. <laughs> Is there going to be a hot girl in a bikini with card yeah, over her head? That's right. Every every twenty minutes, she's going to come out and let people know what what round we're in. Is that how long the uh, things are? Fight rounds? Twenty minutes? No, they're like three minutes. I was going to say that seems like a long time. Even three minutes, I would imagine, when you're getting pummeled, feels like an eternity. Oh, it's probably terrifying. Yeah, it's crazy stuff. Yeah, um, so we got a lot of we got a lot of uh, follow up stuff going on because a lot of follow up stuff. Apparently, we we've touched a nerve. Yeah, on a few subjects. On a <laughs> well, on a few. Yeah. Uh, where do you want to start? You want to do the exploitation stuff? You want to do the portraiture stuff? Well, either one because they're both kind of related. Okay. Um, let's start with the portraiture because we're sort of, we'll, we'll follow up on the stuff we ended on last week, right? Okay. Um, so we got that email from Alan. Mm hmm. Uh, basically, he, he was, he listened to our, uh, our last show about making portraits, getting intimate with the subjects, you know, finding that spark, blah, blah, blah. Um, and he was just wondering more about the mechanics of all of this, like not, you know, when to, sh as he says, not use this joke at two minutes and 35 seconds and switch to this light setup after 30 shots. Sure. Um, but more how you do it. And then he goes on to say, um, are some people harder, easier than others, etc. cetera. Uh, um, I take it as read that not all of them work, that kind of stuff. Um, he also talks about some of my pictures from 365 portraits, including Jeff Dyer in what I can only assume is his favorite chair. And if you don't know who Jeff Dyer is, you should read his book. Do you ever read that book? Um, the ongoing moment. No. Um, this guy, Jeff Good. Dyer. Yeah. He's a, he's a essayist, um, in England and he's this British essayist and, uh, ongoing moment. He's a British essayist and he writes these books about different subjects and it's sort of pontificating on sort of what we do, but on an outsider's level, like he's not a photographer himself, but he talks about photography. Okay. In this particular book called The Ongoing Moment, it's all about photography. He's done one about jazz called But Beautiful. Wow, cool. Um, and, and my ex-girlfriend, Andrea, gave me a copy of The Ongoing Moment for Christmas, I think the year before I did 365 Portraits. And so when I was over there to visit, I, I found him and I got in touch with him and he invited us over to his house. 
And, uh, no way. Yeah, we had a really good time talking to him. He wrote, um, uh, he wrote some of the essays and like books about Abaddon, Abaddon and stuff. He's like this hard, heavy hitter guy. He's wow. like, yeah. Um, yeah, put him in the show notes. I'll so look it up too. The fact that uh, this guy was bringing up Jeff Dyer uh, is just kind of funny. Um, uh, I can see that it being an issue for these people because you don't have that much time to get comfortable with the subjects, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Maybe it's your superpower being friendly and personable guy. Um, so yeah, no, so th- yeah, that's not it. That's, that's not it at all. <laughs> Did, didn't you hear well, I'm a hypocritical, sour personality? Yeah, yeah, it's, it, it's true. And I, on the other hand, am the perfect foil. Yes. Which is uh, so. Here, here's the thing: when you're when you're talking about portraiture, it seems like there there's an awful lot of energy talking about working with models, right? And it, it seems like, at least to me, who who admittedly is an outsider to a lot of photography, um, most of the time you're not going to be working with models. You're going to be working with normal everyday people yes right so people who don't normally sit in front of a camera right who, who maybe don't know what side of their face is the best or what angles work for them yep. or how to uh crane their neck in a certain way or dip the shoulder in a certain way how to come so, across as natural i mean right. that's, that's so a how do you learn it. those skills and i think we get a, we get a fair amount of questions asking that how do you learn to make people feel comfortable or to 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 allow them to feel comfortable. Uh, it's not easy. Um, mm-hmm. I think in some ways that's a harder thing than knowing what settings and, and lenses to use and how to light something. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting. I tend to go for more authenticity than reality when I take portraits. Mm-hmm. I mean, I want to pe- make people look good, but I don't want to, I'm not trying to take a beauty shot of most people that I'm taking pictures of, right? I want to get an actual picture of them as they are in the real world. Um, and I think that the, the process of, and we talked a little bit about seduction last time. And I think that that is still a big part of it, right? That, um, that idea that you're, you're sort of wooing the person sure, and, and sort of slowly pulling them in to feel comfortable. It's sort of like going, it's, it's very similar to going on a first date with somebody. That's what getting your picture or taking pictures of somebody is like. Um, okay. You have to let enough of you out so that they trust that you're not there, some sort of vampire. But at the same time, you need to keep them thinking about, get them talking about their stuff so that they, you know, feel more comfortable. Everyone always feels more comfortable talking about themselves than listening sure. to people talk. Expressions um, become more natural and more honest. Yeah. And, and one thing that I do as a little trick is I often do research about my subjects, mm-hmm. uh, especially if, if I am doing like an editorial shoot um, and it's somebody who is somebody, you know, they're the new well, director of whatever or they own a company sure. or that's CEO. an advantage that you have of the type of people that you shoot. But, yeah. you know, what if you're just shooting, you know, soccer moms or yeah. healthcare professionals yeah. or, you know, whatever the subject may be, that's just. A normal everyday person that you that you don't have that ability to kind of get some background and 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 approach things that interest them or or express well, an interest in what they've done. You then have to find those things out on the fly. Mm-hmm. Um, you need to you need to 
make the people believe that you're actually interested in what they're saying. And I find that the best way to do that is to actually be interested in what they're saying. Um, so are, are good portraits, would you say, as, as much social as they are technical? To me, yes. Mm-hmm. When I, whenever I see somebody taking pictures of another person and they're not interacting with that person very much, you know, uh, it, it just blows my mind that they can get anything out of that person, unless it's somebody who gets their picture taken all the time. You know, right. um, you know, the, it's a, it's a tricky thing. It's, 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 it, everybody's different. And I mean that, and by that, I mean, every photographer is different and every subject is different. And, and there are photographers who, uh, I, I've heard stories of famous photographers and famous actresses who were in a shoot, you know, doing a shoot for some magazine or whatever. And they did not get along well at all. Like that the shoot did not go well because their personalities just didn't click. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't force it, you know. I mean, the better you get at photography, the more you can get something usable out of what is where 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 the bad days are not really bad; they're just not good. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? You still you you can consistently maybe get good photographs, but that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get great photographs right and getting something special is you know is 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 the real prize um but but i mean there are no mechanics it's it's like i said it's really it's it's a seduction you know it's like if i told you how to seduce a woman i can't explain that to you you know Mm -hmm. you could watch me do it which would be kind of creepy which would be totally creepy but but i mean that and then you could get some sense of how it's done, but right. it doesn't mean that the same beats will happen at the same times in the conversation. Um, I find that being a good conversationalist helps. You know, last week you asked me about uh, having the camera up to my eye and mm-hmm. having the person staring at the camera. And I realized, I don't know if I said it, but I was thinking about it afterwards. I generally don't have the camera to my face. Right. Yeah, you, you mentioned know? that. Okay. that you, you will just have a conversation and every once in a while, I'll when pop it the strikes you, bring face. the camera up, shoot, and, and then lower it. Yeah, because I think that it is about the two people, you know, and the more mm-hmm. the, and the longer that you have and the more time and the more comfortable they feel, the less they'll think about the camera being there. And that's that's where you start getting the good stuff. You know, are you able to look back at your photographs, say, say, 365 portraits are you able to look at those and just by looking at the photograph know whether or not you really connected with that person on that on that particular shoot? Uh, yeah, for the most part. I can mm-hmm. certainly remember if I flip through the pages, I can remember where we shot and and sort of you know how you, you have this sort of uh, sensorial memory of of being a certain place at a certain time. Sure. Because so many of those were location sort of environmental portraits at other people's places or outside or whatever. I remember almost every one of those days. Like if Mm. I flip through, I'm like, Oh, I remember getting up really early and meeting that girl in the park and the light was bad or, you know, whatever it was. Um, so it's, it's, or, or wow, I really, that girl was really difficult. You know, I, and it's weird. Sometimes it doesn't work out the way you think it's going to work out. I, there were some people for that thing where I chose them because they were, they looked like attractive people who would be easy shots, you know, Mm -hmm. that I'd be like, Oh, I could get something really great out of them. And but then what, you're, what's you're the actually, quote that you put in the in the show notes? It's uh yeah, somebody put that sent uh, that in. Uh, never confuse a photograph of a beautiful woman with a beautiful photograph. And that's true, you know. Which is, and I think that goes along with 
the whole argument about fashion photography not being mm-hmm. great art photography. You know, it's about it's a whole different thing. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there are a number of amazing uh, looking models out there, uh, or uh, but that doesn't necessarily mean that when they're in front of you, you're going to get an amazing picture. Yeah, or, or it, when it doesn't mean that just because they're in front of you, you're going to get anything at all that you want. You know, sure, somebody could be beautiful, but they don't translate to the camera. In, in sure, the, you know, they're not communicating. I mean, that's what the best models are there. They're good at communicating. I think it's it goes to what you're saying. It goes hand in hand with the photographer. I mean, I'm I'm thinking particularly of the collaborations between like Heidi Klum and Rankin. Mm-hmm. Um, you you can tell that they love working together and they love exploring new ground and they get fantastic results from yeah, it. Yeah. And uh, Albert Watson took some really early pictures of Kate Moss or something, mm-hmm. like at her like 17th birthday or something. The crazy thing. He told a story Listen, when I saw him speak. Is that the, the, the nude that's uh, where she's kind of turned to the side? Yeah, I think Cause, so. Because you just got what, – what, you got Cyclops, didn't you? Yeah, I did. <laughs> you you want to jump into that? Um, yeah, see, I just want to jump into it to say that I still can't stand David Carson's work. Ah, see? The spine of this book has Cyclops and Albert Watson, the text somewhat overlaid and letters missing. It looks like somebody screwed up when they printed it. But they didn't. Yeah, but how do I know they didn't? How do I know this is what he wanted or isn't he just started hitting a bunch of, you know, buttons on his uh, in InDesign or Quark and this is what ended up? Because you look at his body of work and, and you look and at it all looks like crap. Oh, come on. I, I just I just think his I just think it's terrible. I don't I don't understand. I just I, you know what it is? I wasn't studying this stuff at the time. When this was something that I that you know people thought that this was new and special, I don't know. Right. Part of it is context. Part of part of uh, appreciating, I think, Carson's work, especially during this period when he was designing uh, content for Raygun and and uh, uh, oh, uh, not Transworld Skateboarding. What was the other magazine? I'm drawing a blank now. Anyway, taking this sort of deconstructed typography. We hadn't seen that before. Yeah, I guess I just don't like deconstructed stuff. I like constructing things. Well, I'm going to send you a video. It's a TED Talk that he gave that I doubt it will change your mind, but it it, it might make you see just a little bit differently. All right. Anyway, so the point is... Anyway. um, Yeah, certain people uh, get together and they make beautiful stuff. I had had a girl, a, a friend of mine, over here the other day taking one of those one shot images. And, um, I didn't, I, after we took the big camera picture, I set up some lights and and tried some other stuff with her. And she's a beautiful girl with fantastic giant blue eyes. Um, and I just could not get out of her what I wanted to get out of her. And that's not her fault. Um, it's, I don't know if it's my fault or I don't know if it's, you know, that day or that time or, Maybe my lighting setups were just not right for her. I just, it's like I was, I was scrambling, messing around with different ingredients and nothing really clicked. Hmm. And it happens. See, I, I like the close up shot of her a lot. Well, see, that's the thing. The picture is not bad. And had I taken that picture five years ago, I would have been like, look at this beautiful picture of this, you know. But mm-hmm. now to me, it just sort of looks like, eh, it's fine. But nothing to write home about. Nothing that's going to go in my portfolio. 
And again, it upsets me because she is lo- does look great in real life. So it's sort of like this this battle. Like I feel like I I've disappointed myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, I mean that happens all the time. But that's but but that's I think that that's part of it, right? You can't. It's not always going to work. I think that I mean getting back to that whole superpower friendly personable stuff. I think I do have something of a gift of being able to talk to almost anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll, I'll and, and not let that interrupt the sort of technical flow that's that's underlying the shoot. No, well, I think there's there's two things in that. There's there's having the technical stuff down to the point where you're not really thinking about it. Mm-hmm. There's also having the conversation stuff down where you're not thinking about it. You know, if you're if you're working on your conversation, you're constantly thinking about how I can keep this person engaged. It almost has to come naturally. Sure. Because uh, if it feels forced, people can read it. You know how like when people talk about kids and they're all like, you know, kids can tell when you're being fake. Right, right. Subjects can too. Um, and, and that's something you have to just be aware of when you're doing it that you're not, you know, that, that being cheesy uh, – photographer guy i mean some people think it's funny but some people see right through it and they're just like okay this is just ridiculous right um and then you're making them more uncomfortable because they feel like they're getting played it's 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 not easy um and i mean i think uh alan's the one who uh put the thing in for zach uh arius arias how does he pronounce his name arius okay um and, and, you know, the guy said, look, your lights are great. If it's anything about your shots, it's just that they all look like, you know, model mayhem shots or whatever. Right. Um, which may or may not be true. I think some of his pictures were great. I think some of them look like I, I agree with Zach on some of that. Um, I, but I don't think that all of my pictures look all that great. You know, it's it's about editing and selection as well. I don't think well anybody as, does. Right. But, I mean, I, I think that's. I bet you if you look at a lot of Zach's pictures, they look like that. I think editing has as much to do with it as the actual shoot. You know, I, sure. t- I took, say, 50 or 60 pictures of that girl last week, and I maybe got one or two that I actually thought were worthy of putting my name on it to show somebody else. Mm-hmm. Um, well, yeah, I mean, to your point, editing is – it's a skill, uh, and if you find that that – you don't have that skill, uh, find someone who does. Yeah. Yeah. You know, find, find, uh, find a friend, hire somebody, uh, find somebody that can see the things that maybe you can't, because just because you're a, a, a talented photographer doesn't mean that you're going to be able to choose a body of work that works to represent you. Yeah. No, totally. Um, it's it's not it's not easy, you know. No, I mean that's even even with somebody. There's there's been this criticism. The, go, ahead. go ahead. No, it's all right. Go ahead. No, uh, there's been criticism of of Vivian Mayer uh, of not being as good as some people think she is, and there, it's it's a it's kind of a polarized debate. But what you have to remember is, you know, we're looking at by and large an unedited cross section of her work. Yeah, but we're not because the people who found her work have edited the crap out of it. She'd shot 40,000 images. How many have you seen? 50? Right, of, but of the ones that we've... He, he's still got you know, 50,000 images to go through. Yeah, but so he's still s- picking the good ones. I, I, yeah, my, yeah. my 
issue with her, if there is one, is that she seems very, her pictures are very much of a passive nature. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, there's a few sort of self portraits and mirrors and reflections and stuff, but mostly it's like, I'm just this little woman over here with my Rolleiflex and I'm going to take this picture before anybody notices and then move on. And that's what's fascinating about her work is that she seems to have been this person who did all this work without being noticed for doing mm-hmm. all that work. And that's See, that's I, I completely agree on that point that that she she was able to get photographs seemingly unnoticed. Yes, and and if if that was her special power, that's great. I don't know how great she would have been as a photographer of people where she had to interact with those people. You know, mm-hmm. um, but I mean, I, th- I think that, you know, Richard Avedon was thinking about this stuff the day he died. You know, I think that this is, this is a constant battle. Um, you look at the pictures of any, uh, portrait photographer or most portrait photographers and they change a lot over time. And that's because the way that people, I mean, the technical stuff changes, but also the way that they relate to the photographer or uh, relate, to, relate to the subject and what they're trying to accomplish changes over time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, completely agree. But I think that it's not about mechanics. It's about authenticity. And it's about letting that kind of thing happen naturally sure. whenever you can. Sure. If, if you can't make it happen naturally, there are times when you're like, okay, I have three minutes and I need to get this shot of her, you know, looking this way. You have to say, hey, could you turn a little bit to the right? Oh, yeah, yeah. turn your shoulder. You know, yeah, okay. Every once in a while that happens. I try to do that less than I want to capture the thing that happens naturally. I don't want to try to create something that looks natural. So you're trying, you're trying to, to give less physical direction. Yeah, I try to, I mean, there Mm -hmm. are times and, and lately I have been doing more because I feel like maybe perhaps that is a tool in my toolbox that I don't use enough. See, that's funny. Portraits are, are, are less than for that. It's, it's ironic to me that, you spend or have spent uh, literally years, and, and, and I'm sure hundreds, thousands, millions of photographers like you have spent all this time learning what looks good under certain types of light, under certain conditions, from certain angles. But then when it comes down to it, you kind of let all of that go and just let the subject kind of evolve and let the shoot happen. Well, you're, you're, you're creating as much of that environment as you can without getting in the way of the relationship. Mm-hmm. And then you're, you're watching for those things that you learned and you know look good to happen so that you can capture them. At mm-hmm. least that's the way I work. There are plenty of right. people who are much more forceful than I am about this kind of stuff. Sure. Um, and it is much more technical and, and almost uh, clinical, I yeah. guess is the word. Um, I just don't work that way. And when I do or when I have to, I feel like I've cheated. Mm -hmm. Um, I feel inauthentic. So you feel like there are things that almost feel staged to you. Yeah, I feel like I've made something that I'm selling something that wasn't actually there. Okay. Okay. And I, I don't like that at all. Um, but that, that could be my own psychological peccadilloes, you know, that might have nothing to do with reality and all to do with the fact that I'm crazy. That, that could be, that could be. Um, Um, but, but it is, you know, we were going to talk about Walker Evans and Dorothea Lange, and I think this, this kind of fits a little bit. Sure. 
because here here are two photographers, Walker Evans and Dorothea Lang, shooting very similar situations, conditions, uh, but the perception is very different in in not only how they went about it, but the results that they were able to achieve. Is that fair? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, but uh, you know, we got an we got an email yesterday about this kind of stuff. Who who wrote that email? Oh, Joseph did. Um, and and basically, some people th- think that uh, you know people argue whether Mr. Evans' work was uh, uh, revelatory or predatory. Sometimes a combination of both. And 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 then there's some that argue that Dorothea Lang stuff is much more personal. Um, it's funny because when I look at the pictures from of people during the Depression, the uh, that were taken by these two people. I see I buy much more into Walker Evans's portrayal of reality than I do Dorothea Lang's. Really? I, I think that Walker Evans's pictures are much more authentic. I think that they are much more um documentary. I huh. I think that Dorothea Lang's pictures of the same period feel melodramatic to me. They feel forced. I mean, even that, even the picture, the famous, you know, migrant worker picture, right? Right. Migrant mother. Yeah. She's, she had like six children, but, and she shot pictures of like all of them. And then she slowly like whittled away the children to find that, oh, it was three kids who looked best when she actually took those pictures. She created that situation. That woman wasn't sitting there with that look on her face. She, she drew that out of the woman. Now, that gets into the question of what is what is drawn out. What does that mean? Does that mean mm-hmm. that she 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 uh, she teased something out that was already there, or br- brushed away the the dust off of something that was already there, or did she manufacture uh, a hyper reality of what this woman was going through? Now, I'm not saying that woman wasn't going through hell, and you know, I'm not making a judgment on how bad off poor people were during the depression. And Dorothea Lang, that photograph, one of the probably most famous of the 20th century, is 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 always pulled out as like, oh, the plight of the, of this you know migrant worker and her family, but but I think that it worked that way because she made it work that way, and I think that if if Walker Evans had taken the same picture, it 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 would have been much less dramatic. And hmm, I would, and even I said, I, I, f- I feel like it's almost melodramatic. Like it's oversold, overselling the, the pain of this woman. Like, well, it, here, let, let's listen to what she had to say. Okay. okay. She, because she, there was an account of it that, that she gave in, in an issue of popular photography. She says, I saw and approached the hungry and desperate mother as if drawn by a magnet. Mm-hmm. I do not remember how I explained my presence or my camera to her, but I do remember she asked me no questions. I made five exposures working closer and closer from the same direction. I did not ask her name or her history. She told me her age, that she was 32. She said that she had been living on frozen vegetables from surrounding fields and birds that the children killed. She had just sold the tires from her car to buy food. There she sat in that lean tent with her children huddled around her and seemed to know that my pictures might help her, and so she helped me. There was a sort of equality about it. Yeah, but you're you're also taking it as, I mean, you don't think that she's editorializing her own words and her own reality of that? 
When was that interview? 1960. Right. That interview was 25 years later. Mm-hmm. Um, I, 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 so do you think there's a, there's a, a, a disingenuous recounting of that? I think that maybe she believes something, but it's not necessarily what really happened, you know? Okay. Um, and I, I, I look at those pictures and I, I look at a lot of her pictures and they look much more staged to me. And if we're just comparing the Evan stuff, then the yeah, Evan sure. stuff. Okay. The Evan stuff looks like he walked into this house and he took these pictures of these people sitting at a table or a woman up against a barn door or a family on their front porch or a room, you know, an empty room with a wash basin. Um, kind of walked in, did his thing and left. Whereas you're saying Dorothea Lang may have walked in and said, okay, here's what we want to do. Tell, tell me about your plight and let's sit okay. down and, 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 you know, but, mm-hmm. but, or even more than that, like, oh, that's really great. But, uh, could Timmy and Jane go in the other room for a minute? Because you look really great with the babies, you know? Interesting. Uh, I, I, I'm not saying that she did that, but I'm saying that that's what it feels like when I look at those pictures to me. Mm hmm. Uh, it's, it's all of this is, is tough stuff. Sure. Like really tough stuff. Yeah. I mean, it, it all kind of boils down to authenticity and, and, and what makes, an authentic portrait. What makes an authentic photograph? I mean, I don't think we even have to limit it to, to portraits because I think, you know, authentic there can be photographs. Yeah, and authentic photographs of inanimate objects. I mean, you know, that gets it's easier almost to pontificate on the authenticity of portraits, even though in reality there are far more variables. It's somehow it's easier to re- people. It's easier for people to read whether something is authentic when it involves people, just because that's what you're designed to do. You know, your sure. brain is designed to do. Um, I mean, somebody else uh, sent in a picture. I think it was John, actually, who I met with yesterday, uh, um, brought up the the Shelby Lee Adams photographer. Oh, right, right, right. right. Uh, do you know his stuff? Not until I read uh, what, you'd, what you'd sent me. What, what do you think? So um, wait, well, let's let's back up. This uh, guy uh, went in the late '80s, I think, or mid '80s, um, into somewhere up in Appalachia, probably like Kentucky or West Virginia, and heard about was introduced to a family who like lived down the end of a dirt road, and they lived basically, you know, sort of almost off the land mm-hmm. in these little houses that they basically not more than tin shacks. Um, and they, you know, wallpaper their walls with newspapers like they did in a lot of those Walker Evans photos. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this was in the 80s, not in the 30s. A lot um, of similarity, actually, if you look at yeah, some of it's essentially, the portraits. It's essentially what Walker Evans did, but 50 years later. Mm-hmm. Which is why, in some ways, I give uh, Shelby Lee Adams a little less credit than some people do. Just because I'm like, okay, well, that's fine, but that's what a lot of – that's – exactly what a lot of people do, you know, um, or this, this has been done before you're just mm-hmm. doing it in the modern day. Now, the fact that these people still exist in this day and age is amazing. Yeah. Some of the photographs in this, uh, series, I'm looking particularly at one called the fly swat and we can put it in the notes. It, it looks like this could have come out of the twenties or thirties. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, we're going to, we're going to put this in the notes. Um, 
Yeah, because the guys are still wearing everything like it. Sure. It, yeah. And that was in 1992. 1992, yeah. Um, so there's there's documentaries of uh, about this whole thing, which I have yet to see the whole thing of. I've seen bits and pieces of it called The True Meaning of Pictures. And uh, and and the guy who wrote in, John wrote in, and he, he basically said, you know, I, I I think that he's great. And, and I uh, – let's see. Um, what did he say? Uh, he basically th- – watching documentary, I started to feel – things started to shift for me. As I was falling in love with the technical qualities of his portraits, I became uh, watching him swear up and down how he loved his portrait subjects like family. He was not exploiting them in any way. I was kind of struck, though, that the photographer doth uh, protest too much, that he was perfectly aware of the feelings of beauty and horror that his images can simultaneously evoke, but like a good politician, has to stay firmly on one side and double down in preserving his wholesome intentions, even though some of his backwoods subjects are more candid about the darker side of their daily lives. Um I- I think there is some exploitation here. Of course, there is. Anybody you know? who's claiming I mean, it, any different is 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 just lying. Yeah, I mean, you're you're because you're not you're not you're not saying look at these interesting people. You're saying you know these people are only interesting because of the sharp contrast they are to us. Right. Exactly. Now, it, it, and the other question is: okay, somebody could say, well, yeah, but. You know, I am exposing their plight and making things better for them by raising money, you know, whatever, not necessarily these guys, but like in general, right? Like that's mm-hmm. sort of an argument mm-hmm. people would make to make their lives better. And it's like, well, you know, you're assuming that they want their lives changed, you know? Um, it's sort of like that's a little bit of a, like a, like a religious, uh, yeah, know, white man's burden kind of thing, right? Like, yeah, you know, I don't know that you could make the argument that they're not aware that there is a different, they know or, that there's another better world life. out there. Yeah. I don't, I don't know that you can make that argument anymore. Right. It's not like it was 150 years ago where you just had mm-hmm. no idea what was outside the front door. It's like, okay, well, if they've ever seen a television, they've seen more of the world than, you know. Um, and it's very sad because I mean, a lot of these, these people are dying young and he goes and he shot them a number of times and then they die. And then it's pictures of them in front of each other's coffins because, mm-hmm. you know, they're, they're all dying in crazy orders. And the, and the, the grandmother woman has been alive for, she's like 80 something years old. And, and, you know, it, it's fascinating to me, but at the same time to claim that this is somehow not anything like, you know, what, what Lewis Hine and what Walker Evans were doing. I mean, he says in this post, he like talks about, he basically shows pictures that are very similar to his from 1936. And it's kind of mm-hmm, like, well, mm-hmm. then what are you doing? You're showing that this stuff still exists. Okay. Yeah. Poverty still exists in Appalachia. And, you know, right, right. Your, your photographs of them are very nice, but they look like they're very interesting subjects. It's not, I don't, I just, I, I'm, I'm fine with it, but you're also making a career on this. Mm-hmm. And if you don't think that well, he's thinking that, then you're crazy too. The subjects, I mean, yeah, you can make the argument that they are interesting looking people, okay? Um, but they would be just as interesting in front of the white background that Avedon used, not sort of pictured in their squalor. Sure. Sure. Do you know what I mean? And he does a few of those like against the wall, which is fine, but like it's not then – then what is this? Because if you're just documenting this reality, are they that great of portraits or are they just fascinating subjects? Like they're almost mm-hmm. like st- – it almost seems like they're not so much portraits as like still lifes of people. Right. Right. Uh, well, I, I mean it, it's 
similar to the other thing that you wanted the the uh, the albino portraits that you want to talk about. Yeah, well, I mean, we talked about that last week, right? Isn't that how this all started? Yeah, 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 um, yeah. Which I which I feel are 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 similarly that way. I mean, what are they other than? I mean, they're they're very nice, but I mean, that got us all started on this whole thing in the first place. You know, where, mm-hmm. where it's like, is this is this more than just exploitation? I don't know. I really don't know. It's certainly a slippery slope. I mean, I, yeah. I hate that term, but it's w- without the certain type of context, I, I definitely see where where you could see that there is really no value, either artistic, social, or otherwise, if that's the side of the fence that you land on anyway. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. if, if you if your if your general point of view is that all of this type of work is somehow exploiting the subjects then you're never going to land anywhere else yeah but i i'm not saying that it has no value beyond the exploitation i just think that to, to ignore the fact that people want to look at those pictures of albino, albino people because they're albinos and that's why it got press mm-hmm. and if if you're doing it to get press that for it's it's people do it all the time and I understand that's how the world works, but like somehow for me, that just seems gross. So would it, would it have more maybe artistic validity or, or aesthetic validity to you if it happened to be uh, a couple of albinos within a larger group of just portraits rather than singling out and saying, yeah, these, I mean, these are albino portraits. Then it's like having a white guy and an Asian guy and a black guy. You yeah. know what I mean? Like then, okay. then, it, then it's just sort of a. But to make it about the fact that they're albino is just like it's asking for press. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, so do you think this this project? Uh, but I get. But the then same again, kind of thing. But then again, the flip side of that is, you know, if we're not putting things in boxes, if we're not being. Uh, Aristotelian about the whole thing. You know, if we're not cleaving things, if we're not cutting things in half and separating things out, then I mean, that, that, that is also part of, part of the job, you know? So, Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a point to make for that. I guess I'm not saying this stuff can't possibly work and I'm not saying that people shouldn't do it. I just think, I guess I, I, I'm sad for the fact that that is the only thing that gets it's that's the kind of work that gets press nowadays. You know, it's it, sort of like this exaggerated sort of more yellow journalism kind of stuff. You sure, know what I mean? Sure. Um, uh, th- there's an interesting uh, bit in this post. Uh, the f- the first paragraph. Do you mind if I read a couple sentences? Go ahead, of sure. This? In the summer of this is this is from this this post on uh, this project. Okay, well, and it's in the show notes. Um, in the summer of 1992, I visited Berthy to ask her to sign a model release, giving me permission to use her picture in my first book, Appalachian Portraits. Even though for years she had enjoyed my photographs and had them displayed in her home, she told me that signing papers was not good and that it must be a bad book I was doing. I learned from members of the community that she was illiterate and, had prob- and probably was afraid because she had once signed a crooked deed and lost some land to a mining company. Yeah. Do these people even know that people are look? They might think, wow, like he's coming here to take pictures of us because we're fascinating. Right. Not, 
people are going to find us fascinating because we're poor and live in the woods. Right. Right. Um, Interesting. So there's an intention thing there, I guess, is what it comes down to, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, it's fascinating. And it's, 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 it's back at, you know, I, I don't know. There's, there's plenty more to say to this, but we can, we can see what people think about what we're saying and we can move on to less Yeah, go, go take a look stuff. at, uh, take a look at this, uh, and, and see what you guys think. Uh, I always love to, to, hear, oh, hey. Should we mention that you can? There's a new way to, to leave feedback now while we're here. Yeah. Well, here. Let's wait. Let's start. We'll back get to up. it. We'll get to it. Well, we're, let's just say if you want to leave feedback, a podcast at ontakingpictures.com is the email address. Uh, our, our, um, but we have a new way of doing it, uh, which is a which is a voicemail number, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so the number, if you want to leave us a voicemail, is three four seven six eight seven ninety four eleven, which is three four seven OTP. 9411. Clever, right? That was nice. Good job. <laughs> um, the, the, you know, feel free to leave us stuff, but if you, you know, if you're talking less than 30 seconds, then we might be able to actually stick it in the show. Uh, and by leaving a message, you're implicitly giving us permission to use it in the show. So just keep that aware. But uh, emails are fine too, but we want to try out a little talking. Yeah, I think it might be fun. Um, what else you got? We that was to, good. I'd like to see where people go with that because that, that's that's interesting stuff to me. No, it's fascinating. Um, yeah, it's cool stuff. Uh, hey, what's this uh, thing you find at Cult of Mac? The normalized thing. Yeah. Well, you know, okay, here's the thing. Uh, if, if you've listened to the show, uh, you know that Bill has a love-hate relationship with, with Instagram. I don't know <laughs> who you're talking about. <laughs> Probably more hate than love. Mm-hmm. So uh, there, there's an app now called Normalize, and it, it re- basically it removes the Instagraminess from from your photos. Really. Which is really funny. It turns them back into what they were before. Right, right. Uh, so uh, you know, you open your photos in in this thing and and run it. There there doesn't look to be much of an interface other than go. Uh, I but just it wish it would just... remove the border too. <laughs> well, you, yeah, you have to crop that out. Uh, but it's kind of interesting. I don't know. I just I thought you'd get a kick out of it. No, it actually. is fascinating. It's kind of funny that it's up on this Cult of Mac site too. I've actually been shooting Instagram, and I think I've shot like eight pictures on Instagram this last week. Now, are you are you using Instagram to actually shoot? I'm using, using Instagram other... to actually shoot. Okay. Um, in fact, I took a picture yesterday of. Uh, <laughs> Of um, the darkroom section at B and H. Oh, did I send you? Showed you this picture? No, you didn't. Sh- is it smaller and smaller? Is it just a counter now? It's just like a couple of shelves. It is not even a counter. It is the end. It's like ten feet of hallway in the back of this of the wow. thing that's like unfinished. It's unbelievable. You didn't see this? It's in my somewhere in my Twitter feed. Um, uh, I can look. That's that's just disheartening. Yeah, it's like literally like this tiny, tiny thing in the back with one, uh, uh, what's it called? Uh, one enlarger Ugh. and like just some stacks of paper and a light box or two. Um, and if you, it, it, it just, that just sucks. I mean, yeah. I, I don't know that ugh. even the lighting like section it. at B and H has changed a lot too. Well, it's funny. And, oh, and, and film, I went, I bought, I bought some film cause I haven't 
bought what, did you buy more of the the fuji no no no. but i bought i bought some of the ilford c41 black and white oh okay i know you don't like that stuff i uh, just like the hp5 better i do too but the place that i get my film done at black and white takes a day and they only do it like once a day or once every other day and they can do c41 in 10 minutes so ah okay um i like being able isn't to do, it just not as contrasty it just doesn't have the punch uh, it's not as contrasty, um, but it's got a nicer middle. Huh. The blacks and whites are not as, um, you know, forced. Yeah. But the middle is a little bit more tonal. Now, do you scan your own negatives? Have we talked about that? I scan my done? own negatives. Um, yeah. you when probably I, got one of those fancy scanners, don't you? I don't have a fancy negative scanner. I just have a flatbed. I have a yeah. Epson okay. 4990 or something, um, which still works in mountain line, by the way, which I was very glad nice. to hear. I, I'm hoping that we get 10.1. 10.8.1? 10.8.1, yeah. Uh, do you have it on your, your Air? Uh, on my Air. Uh, Mountain Lion? Yeah. Uh, have not. Heather's okay. still One of the complaints, I, I'm kind of curious. Battery one life? of the complaints, yeah, battery life. Yeah, I haven't heard anything um, from anybody that I know personally. But, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. There's, you know, there's got to be something. I, I don't think that it's something that. I don't think there's some new feature in Mountain Lion that's killing battery life. I think it's probably a bug that's killing battery life. Mm-hmm. They, well, one of the, the devs said that it, it seems to be fixed in 8.1. Oh, well, there so you they, go. What are we even talking about then? Because, well, you have to, we have to talk about them at least a little bit because they are now the most valuable company ever in the history of companies. Uh, not accounting for inflation. They still have like 33% to go to catch up to Microsoft in 1999. Uh, but interestingly... The iPhone, just the iPhone business, does more than all of Microsoft. Uh, yeah, I can see that. Read that yesterday. Kind of interesting. Yeah. And the, the iPhone 5, you know, is going to be a monster. Yeah. I think that they I think that they are at their high point now, and I think that there's going to be other companies coming in. Sure. Um, but, I, you know, I have a little Apple stock, not really anything worth writing home about. But I've been happy with what it's done. I, I think uh, the iPad Mini will be a big one. Yes. Make it a phone. Make it a phone as well. Why can't there be a seven-inch device that's also a phone? You get a Bluetooth headset, you're done. Yeah, it's called an iPod Touch with a uh, with Skype and a Bluetooth headset. <laughs> Is that what it's called? Sure. And then what do you just hold one of those little magnifiers over it to get it to seven inches? <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> hey, you know, so I'm running out of space on my computer. I need like another 704 terabytes. Do you know a way to do this? <laughs> well, you know, if you've got a few uh, a few pieces of DNA, you might be able to accommodate you. How <laughs> this is spooky to me? Why? I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm unclear enough about what's rattling around in my DNA. I don't want to have to go looking for photos there too. <laughs> you know? Okay. The idea is that you could encode because you know DNA can 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 encode piles and piles of data about how to build yourself, and they figured out a cubic millimeter of it could hold seven hundred and four terabytes of data. Yeah, wh- okay, where was this? Where was it that they did this? Uh, let's see. This is on Engadget uh, researcher early research blah 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 at Harvard a team. Harvard. There's some smart guys. They and can girls stuff ninety six bits into a DNA strand by treating each. Uh, ACGT as its own binary value. Genetic That's sequence is then synthesized in a microfluidic uh, chip that matches up that sequence with its position in the relative data set. It's fascinating. But, I mean, this is where the world's going, right? 
it's, it's you know, but far it, too slow for time sensitive content. Yeah, I I used to work with a guy um, who worked for DoD. Okay, a while ago, a long while ago, um, and and one of who knows, take this with a grain of salt. But one of the things that well, two things they say they're working on organic computers. This was probably fifteen years ago. Sure, that, DARPA, that, sure. Yeah, uh, but they were also working on creating microscopic black holes in the lab. Sure. That, you know, sort of held in place with, with like plasma fields. And, but here's the thing. Let's say one of the plasma containment fields fails. You can't just flip off a black hole. Yeah, but like microscopic singularities are supposedly like come into existence and go out of existence all the time. I don't know, man. Didn't you read Earth by David Brin? No. Is that one no. of those ones where there's like a black hole and it sucks up the Earth? But yeah, it just keep, it gets caught in Earth's magnetic field and it just keeps sort of ping ponging through the planet and just tears it apart and gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Ugh. I think we have bigger things to worry about. I don't know. Freak me out by the end of it. <laughs> I was a little upset. You know, there, there's a there's an article on CNN this week that a couple of people sent me uh, called "Fine Art Photography Manipulation." Uh, yeah, uh, I saw this when what reality you- isn't good enough. Okay, I. I I I take offense to some of the writing in this article. Uh, For example, yeah. let's see. Yeah. In the age of Instagram and smartphones, it seems anybody can be an artist. Add a filter to your cluttered concert photo and suddenly the image transforms into a nostalgic moody scene straight out of Rolling Stone. Uh, no. Yeah. No. It doesn't it's not quite it. It's that's not that's not I think to some of the photographers, they would say, you know, oh, my God, it looks you – know, dude, it looks like it's right out of Rolling Stone. No. 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 Uh, and they, they go to show a bunch of pictures by a bunch of people, and they're fine. And, okay, and, and here's the thing. As, I, mean, the, I don't like both, that Mike Malia pictures, though. Those are way well, overdone to me. Okay. Both of us are, are Photoshop users. Both of us are compositors. Compositing takes an enormous amount of time. Yes, it does. To do it well. Yep. I mean, it takes an enormous it's it's not as simple as and when it doesn't work, it's it's sort of the uncanny gap, right? Yeah. Or the uncanny valley. Uh it, the uncanny valley being uh trying to do uh photorealistic CG characters. Yeah, humans. Uh, trying to make human like uh, artificial human stuff that it's great when they start looking more like humans, you're like, oh, that's looking like humans. And then there's a point right before it actually feels really human where it feels completely creepy because it's yeah. almost there, not quite there. Yeah, like a real doll or something. Yes. Uh, it, you so, have one of those, don't you? But what uh, <laughs> For the lonely nights? That's right. <laughs> Go ahead, move on. Oh, let's just let that sink in for a minute. Uh, yeah, so, so just reducing it down to, hey, you've got, you know, 16 photos. All you have to do is bring them into Photoshop and layer them together and you're done. Yeah. Uh, That's not something you just – Photoshop doesn't have a composite these together well button. You know? <laughs> right. Yeah. At least it's not in my version. No, no. And, 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 and even a lot of the talk in this stuff, it says, you know, Photoshop CS released in 2003. And I don't really understand why Photoshop CS was really any different than Photoshop 7 or whatever it came before. Was it 8? Uh, eight no, before 7 CS? was before it. 7? Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, was the kind of technological breakthrough that caused artists to go overboard and pull back. It's like, wait, wait why did CS make See, the difference? No, the way I remember it was CS was horrible. And a lot of people held on to 
7 and then went to CS2. Yeah. Anyway, the point being is that like it's not like Photoshop changes that much in each little chunk. No, it's it, it's 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 evolutionary. Exactly. Um it, it, it analyzed uh, photographers and photography educators have also had to analyze the tipping point of when photography becomes a plastic toy versus a real honest to goodness vehicle that allows you to become creative. And I think that that is a bunch of people talking uh, off their butts. Yeah. I don't know that Photoshop allows you to become creative. If, 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 if you weren't creative, handing Here, you a copy of Photoshop isn't going to suddenly go, Oh my God. Now I know I have vision. Now. Uh, no. Here Sorry. we go, Jeffrey. The tools in Photoshop, such as content aware fill from version CS5, allow people to remove <laughs> anything from a photo with one click. <laughs> now, anybody who's actually used content aware fill is laughing it, right now. Yeah. <laughs> it's giggling right along with me. Um, yeah. No, I, it's, it's, I don't know. It's just, I, I think that, I mean, there are lines in here there. The overall sentiment is like, okay, yes, I understand what you're trying to get across. You're just doing it in a very ham fisted way. That is a little too, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for when it's like, you know, like, uh, overly sensational. This is well, sensationalized. It's, it's just- it's it, and then they the talk about how it is 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 feels like it's written by somebody who who has just merely read the brochures of the product. Exactly. Yeah. And then and then you know they talk about how people are going backwards the other way and blah blah. It, this stuff always happens. Yeah. And there are people who go too far with digital manipulation, and there's people who don't go far enough, and there's people who go too far with not touching anything but that exactly what's on the negative because like what does that even mean? You know, mm-hmm. like there's this is. I don't know. It's 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 an interesting article in that somebody's talking about this on CNN, but it's not interesting in like it's actually enlightening us to anything real. No, and and again, I mean, you know, look at somebody like Dave Hill who spends hundreds of hours, yeah. you know, to produce these composite images, hundreds. Yeah, uh, I I feel there there's a guy, um, a friend of mine, assisted some photographer here in New York, who takes like sort of these. HDR looking pictures of like um, rich financial guys, like you know, they're sort of like glory shots of these guys and for for commercial purposes or just for their own, like to have. I think in they're their for them. Like you know, <laughs> you're gonna hire me and make me look amazing, and but he like it's like way too many lights. It's like all that like side rim backlight, right, right, you know, like okay. all that kind of like you know beauty dishes here and there. Um, and then he composites them, and then he has like they're really super saturated and. Personally, I think they look terrible. I think that work like that, like some of the examples they give in this article, is is going to look incredibly dated five, ten years from now. People sure. are like, oh, man, remember what people were doing back in 2009? Like yeah, even, yeah. His stuff even looks like it's from 2009 now. You mm. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and somebody can make the same argument about some of my work, I guess. But like, But this stuff was like way over the top where it's like, Whoa, wow, you didn't know when to say when. Right. Um, and and I think that I think that with new tools, you know, with power comes great responsibility. And sure. Photoshop is great power, but you have to use it wisely. You know, I I still uh, w- one of my favorite like photographers, but but compositors as well is is still Jerry Ulsman, uh, doing it all in the darkroom. You know, he's got seven or eight enlargers set up and just moves from station to station to station sure. and does it all in the darkroom. Now, is it, stuff is it is better just, just because he's doing it in the darkroom? To me, yes. Okay. Because it was because, more difficult to do? Sure. I mean, think about it. You you can see sort of where things are when when the enlarger lamp is lit, but now you've got to move to the next enlarger and if your registration is off or your exposure is off 
or you know you didn't test strip the thing correctly, you're going back to square one. Right. It's like uh, it's like doing the uh, die transfer prints. Sure. Yeah, I, I'm a huge fan of of Wolfsman. I hope I'm pronouncing his name right. That's true. Um, hey, speaking of, <laughs> see, we don't talk a lot about gear on this show. Not a lot. And people, I think people we like did spend fa- a fair bit of time about your nub. We did, and my nub is feeling really good. <laughs> um, feels great under my in my hand. Um, <laughs> under your thumb. <laughs> but. Uh, we got a, one of the guys who wrote in, uh, Joe Shelley wrote in. This is the Leica thing? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, th- this is just, yeah. Go okay. Ahead. So the, the, when we talk about gear not mattering, it's when we say, when somebody says, my pictures aren't good enough, I must need X in order to make them good. The, the, the amount of times out of a hundred that that is true are diminishingly small. You know, if you have any sort of modern camera with any sort of like your, your equipment is not the limiting factor. Look inward, not outward. Sure. Um, I saw, I talked to a guy who knows a guy who, you know, wasn't getting what he wanted out of a five D Mark twos. Then he bought a D 800 and he wasn't getting what he wanted out of that. So we bought a medium format. It's like, if you weren't getting what you wanted out of two of the top, (laughs) like two of the best cameras ever made, It's not getting a medium format back is not going to fix that. <laughs> um, but whatever, I digress. Anyway, so he uh, he was uh, a friend of his has his great grandfather's original Lights Wetzler Leica thirty five millimeter camera, the original Leica. Mm. Um, apparently, he doesn't. He's not sure if it's the nineteen fourteen model, but if it isn't, it's pretty close within a generation or two. He got to hold it in his hands. He got to click the shutter a few times. Um, and he sent us a picture of this camera. Now, again, we don't talk about gear because gear doesn't really matter, but sometimes there are old cameras that are beautiful objects in themselves. Mm -hmm. And this is one of them. And the Leica, the original Leica was the first camera to use 35 millimeter film, which was originally motion picture film. And then the Leica people said, Hey, why don't we turn that sideways and we can shoot on the same film stock, so it's easy, cheaper for people. Right. And like that's how we still use thirty-five millimeter film now because people, you know, stuck it in a Leica back in the teens. Um, yeah, this, this is this thing is gorgeous. This is the kind of camera that was the first ones that Cartier Bresson got, you know, because he was like a rich kid and he could afford a nice little Leica. Um, this is one of the first handheld cameras that you could walk around with and actually, ha- you know, the idea that your camera didn't have to be on a tripod. I mean, mm-hmm. Yeah, there were brownies and that stuff, but this was like a serious camera. Yeah, um, this this was the first photographic instrument. Yeah, yeah, that you could that you could really just go buy. Yeah, it's it's a light measuring tool. Mm-hmm. That's how I always feel when I pull my light out. Um, so we're gonna, uh, I we got partial permission from Joe. I think we're gonna we're gonna stick it in the. I'm gonna put it oh, up did somewhere. He, did he say we could show it? Yeah, he said he was gonna double check with his friend, but he doesn't okay. understand why it would be a problem. Uh, just so he gets a, a look at this camera because it's beautiful. It's like, you know, you called a camera porn, Jeffrey. It, I did. It, it, and it is. Yeah, it really is. Uh, it's beautiful. And there are, there are cameras like this. I was down in um, D.C. at the Air and Space Museum because my sister works at the Smithsonian. And they have um, some of the Leicas and the Hasselblads especially that went up into space mm. are like sitting there behind glass. And I'm like, that's so cool. That's- that's cool. You know, the one, now, the, the 500, the Hasselblad 500s that they brought to the moon were essentially 
just modified regular Hasselblads without with all the oil taken out because the oil like evaporates in, in a vacuum. So they had to mm-hmm. like lubricate with some kind of stat, you know, uh, non liquid kind of thing or whatever. Um, but essentially, it's the same camera that I use when I go out on the street. You know, yeah, that's, cool stuff. It's it's very cool stuff. Now th- this Leica, handmade. Uh, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. You know, or mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I'm sure there were some things that were mass manufactured. I mean, they're not going to sure, machine but each by and piece, large, the finishing and but it's oh, put together. Mm-hmm. I think. I mean, they were up until like the 70s. That's beautiful. They st- I actually, I mean, they still are hand assembled. I think right. If you buy what is, a new one what is today, yours? You've got an M. I have an M4. M4. Okay. Um, like a German M4, and it's nice because at a certain point during the M4 line, I think when they went to the M42 or the M4P, I, I forget. They actually switched manufacturing to Canada for a while. Mm. And the Canadian ones are they, are they are, still made in Canada now? Uh, I think they went back to Germany, but there was a time when they were in Canada. I, I may be getting this all wrong, and some Leica person is going to yell at me. Um, but the basic practical upshot of it is that I have like one of the sort of like the last old school Leicas, you know, the old M4s. Um, Did you eBay that? How'd you get it? Uh, I bought it at a store here in New York that okay. only sold. So this Leicas. was a gift to yourself. We talked about that. Yeah, I bought it for myself when I finished the sixty-five portraits. Um, I liked. I just you know I always wanted one, and I was just like you know what I did this thing for a year. I'm gonna buy myself something to remember it by. So yeah, I have a, a Leica M4 and a couple of 50 millimeter lenses. One that's sort of one of the old Elmer that uh, collapses in, which is beautiful, but the the coating on the lens is sort of flaking off a little bit. Mm. So if I stop it down too much, I mean, it's got a really great look because it's like from the 50s, this lens. Right. Um, but like it, absolute image quality, it's not great. And I ended up going and buying a Summicron at one point. But in many ways, I kind of like the look of the old one better how often do you take it out uh not as often as i like lately a couple times a year and is it because or, or, is it conscious that you're trying to maintain value or no no no, no. it's not yeah, like i okay. don't want to use it to keep yeah. it nice it's like i want to use it it's just you know shooting film and shooting 36 pictures and getting it developed and film's expensive and what well, speed film i take it i've taken I took it a couple of years ago. I was down in Puerto Rico and that's like the only camera I took. And I shot like four or five rolls of film down in Puerto Rico. Mm, um, that's cool. But I, I like it when I'm traveling because it slows you down. But sure. the M4 doesn't have a meter in it, right? So you got to uh, – you have to carry a meter with you. So it's a little bit – it's even slower than like an M6 would be. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the M7 added uh, aperture priority. So that makes it a little bit better. But – um, but I, I like the old all mechanical thing because there's no there's no batteries there's no nothing it's just you know wow one yeah. big mechanical See? thing <sighs> it's good stuff yeah it is good stuff and and there's something about like loading film and I like it I mean it just it feels like this picture taking machine mm-hmm. in a way that and they have character because it's a physical object so when I bought mine there were like two of them that I was thinking between the same price and I was just sort of clicking away at them, trying to feel how the, the crank and the shutter felt. Right. Uh, change things up a lot. Hmm. It's interesting. It's good stuff. Yeah. It's, 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 it's interesting that, that one of the questions that you ask yourself or that's asked of you with this type of a camera is how does it feel yeah. to use it? Yeah. Uh, I'll, I think I, I've, I've posted a few pictures of mine on uh, my blog, so I'll I'll see if I'll put that one of those in the show notes. Yeah, good. Hey, uh, you want to do our? We're we're running a little late. You want to get on the photographer of the week? Yeah. Who who are we doing today? Who are we doing today? 
I just totally spaced on who it is. Uh, we're going to do Dan Winters. Dan Winters. That's right, because you were you were doing some Dan Winters type of, uh, of I lighting. Was, I was trying and failing to do some Dan Winters lighting. See, I don't think it, 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 it wasn't a fail. It just didn't turn out the way you wanted it to. I, I'm trying to figure out how he does what he does. Uh, Dan Winters, if you don't know, is this uh, uh, portrait photographer. He does lots of other like still lifey kind of stuff. He, I mean, he shot the space shuttle taken off. Um, but he's sort of known for his portraiture and they are amazing. Like Dan Winters is one of the, most of the time I look at people's work and I was like, Oh, that's a beautiful shot. That was a great subject. Great light. Like good job. Um, and there were just a handful of photographers that I look at and just go, I have no idea how he pulled that off. Like, I mean, I can see the light that he used, but mm-hmm. I have no idea how he got that look. Um, yeah, his stuff is very unique. Um, and he, what I love about, about Winters is he's a, you know, we talked about this offline a little bit. He's a maker of things. Yeah. He makes props. He makes sets. He, he collages art. He makes paintings. He, he makes photographs. He just, he just creates. Yes, he does. And people like that just, they throw me for a loop because you, 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 you just, you can't help but be inspired by them. Yeah. He's also, you know, what's interesting about Winters? He often talks about that it's more about, uh, where it's not about where you put light. It's about where you take light away. Isn't that great? Isn't that a great way to think about that? Yeah. And and you'll notice in a lot of his pictures, there's lots of stuff flagged, like, you Mm -hmm. know, shadows on people's faces and, and, and places where he sort of is trying to, he's trying to sculpt light a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's something that I would love to do more. In fact, I've got to buy some stands and some flags to like be able to set this stuff up and get really crazy about it. Um, Another quick thing that I've noticed that he does is he he usually uses just like one light say on um on the subject like a like an umbrella usually not even like a fancy small box or or soft box rather and the fact that he's just using umbrellas is great you know cuz mm-hmm. umbrellas if you can't do it with an umbrella you're not going to be able to do it with a soft box you know it's it's all the same stuff um you know Avedon only ever used umbrellas so get off your high horse um <laughs> But but one of the things you that just he really use that yeah so one of the things that he does though that Dan Winters does is he he uses a ring light as a fill all the time so if you look at a lot of his pictures you can the trick about lighting in portraits right is to is to go look in the people's eyes and you can often see the lighting setup mm-hmm. um, and so almost, he's just using the ring light just as a little pop. He's using the, the ring the light, light as fill, right? At like two stops down from mm. the main key. And I have tried this. And part of my problem is that my ring light's like this crappy Alien Bees ring light. And part of the problem is, is that it's, it's a, a 800 watt second light. It's a powerful light. So even at its lowest setting, it's still way too powerful. I have to stop down to like F11 at ISO 100 in order to get that level of what I want. But a lot of his pictures are also like short depth of field. Now there's a number of things going on. One, sometimes he's shooting large format, right? Which is a whole Mm -hmm. other ball of wax, but I don't think that that's what gives his pictures that special look, but it allows him to get the short depth of field thing, which I'd love to get with mine. But the problem is, is that I can't because you know, I can't get this light to go lower. Couldn't Um, you get there? Use it stacking some ND filters. Well, that's exactly what I was thinking about it the other night, how I was going to do it. And I was like, okay, well I could always just, yeah, cut up some neutral density filters and lay them around the ring 
mm-hmm. and just stack them up to pull it down, which is actually what I'm going to try next to do. Cause that, I really want to get this right. It's like one of those things where it's like, I, I know it's like right there, you know? Um, or what about one of the, the, uh, is it Orbis that makes the the ring flash attachment for speed lights? Yeah, that's not the same. Is that that's ho- that's hokey? Yeah, I, I mean, I I think that they are they have a thing, but I don't think it's quite the same look. Um, and he he also, I mean, I think he also might be using they they make these sort of big diffusers for ring lights, like Profoto mm. does. Mm-hmm. So it's like it's a ring light, but the ring light is shooting into a thing that makes it even a bigger circle. Because sometimes oh, wow. in his pictures, you can see the ring light in their eyes, and it's a pretty big circle. But when I shoot at a distance that's a reasonable distance that he must be shooting from, that ring light gets a lot smaller and almost just becomes yeah. this dot in the shot. And I'm wondering if he isn't using some sort of thing to make it bigger. Now, again, this is the it's not that you couldn't get pictures like his without a thing. He's using very special lighting setups and mm-hmm. I am a student of lighting setups, So I find it fascinating trying to figure it out. Well, um, it's, it's, he's the way I look at his work. He creates places. He creates this sort of depth with light. He doesn't typically totally use does. props or, or uh, things like that. But I'm, I'm looking particularly, we did a, a spotlight on him on faded and blurred and there's a, a shot of Tom Hanks. Yep. that is amazing yep. in this this pea coat and he's got i mean like to, to use what you just said uh, it, he sculpts the light around him and yeah. then just there's a hint of a background light that just lets you know that there's something behind it i mean it's just yeah. absolutely, it's gorgeous his his lighting is is flawless mm-hmm. in a way that i wish i could make my lighting flawless um it's funny if you if he's got that great book um which is like one of my favorite photo books um which i think is like an editorial portrait book uh, uh i think it's is it out of print is it out is of it print i thought it was out of print well i, I remember looking for I'm it i'm sure you could get a used copy it's yeah, the, yeah. the one thing that i love about it is the fact that it's um it's like you can you can really i mean they're great it's a great well done book and you can really get a good look at the lighting and stuff and some of them you know the the telltale sign of the ring light is that weird shadow all the way around a person mm-hmm. and every once in a while you'll see that this halo ring light, halo shadow. And then there's also another key light. So it's like, and sometimes he brings the, the ring light up enough. So where you see that shadow and other times it's, you know, the background's far enough back or the, the ring lights low enough level that he doesn't. I mean, he also has excellent, um, uh, stylus and things. Um, but he's, he's a, he's a fascinating portraitist. Uh, he shot all kinds of people, like every actor you can ever think of that picture of, uh, I think it's, is Helen Mirren in the, uh, in that big studio room that looks like Avedon yeah. studio space. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's just a flawless yeah. photograph. Yeah, flawless. Gorgeous. I mean, this is yeah. the, he shoots the kind of pictures that I would kill to be able to shoot. Like this, this is what I want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I wish I was as good as him. Uh, so it's, it's, yeah, he's, he's one of my favorites and he has yeah. a, he has a distinct look without having his pictures all look the same. Yeah. There's an interesting, toning regardless of the overall sort of temperature of the image there's a, there's a there's a similar toning that goes on yep um that, it, that you you can look at a dan winters shot and go i see a dan winters shot yep without it being sort of derivative of, of himself yeah absolutely and I, I it's just he's 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 a monster um <laughs> i wish i wish that i could you know, this is, he is, he is, he is what I wish I could be and, and what I'm working towards. Um, 
And he's supposedly a very nice guy to boot. He splits his time between Austin, Texas and, uh, and LA from what I understand. I emailed with him a couple of times cause I was going to be down in Austin. I was going to go meet him, but I never, never quite made it work out. But, um, but yeah, he's, uh, uh, love Dan Winters. Anyway, yeah, good stuff. if you can, uh, we'll, we'll put the book in the show notes, but if you can get a copy of this book, even used or whatever, it is, uh, it's, it looks like Amazon, you can get them. They're 43 to $50 used. Uh, it's called Dan Winters periodical photographs. The one with Laura Dern on the cover. Oh God, it's a great, that's a great shot. And that is a great yeah. book. That's like one of my favorite. Photo she books. just looks, she looks sculpted on that shot. She does. I mean, well, she her just, hair definitely looks sculpted. Oh, it just, that shot just wrecks me. And the shoulder, her. like mm-hmm. the shoulder blades and stuff. Yeah. And her, her neck looks like she's just, like 40 feet tall. Yeah. Um, yeah. Beautiful though. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, uh, Dan Winters is this week's photographer. Uh, and he's, man, he's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, anything else before we wrap up? Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. Okay. The, what do you our, got? The, the book. Oh yeah. I the almost book, forgot about that. Our book. I know. Right, I Jeffrey. almost forgot about it myself. Uh, so, Hey, we've been working on this book. You know, this we've been, Nikki and I've been working on our first ebook, uh, for a few months now and, uh, it's, it's done and it's out today. It's called chill. It's all about ice cream. Um, we, we wanted to do something that was really out of our comfort zone. Um, so, you know, food photography seemed like a good idea at the time. (laughs) (laughs) At the time it seemed good. Uh, but it's, uh, we're, we're really proud of it. We're really happy with it. Uh, it's 20 flavors, 20 recipes that we came up with. We shot everything, uh, which was another challenge in and of itself. Have you ever shot food? Uh, never. Well, I mean, other than just messing around now. Yeah, man. Ice cream's tough. We, we, we got two to three minutes each setup. You guys did a great job though. I mean, that stuff looks Thank fantastic. You. Thank you. Yeah. We ended up using a you look like you know what you're doing. No, but no, don't, don't think that, uh, we used little balls of, of craft paper as stand-ins so we could like light everything and, and get it all ready to go and then just go grab the real ice cream and, and stick it in and, and hopefully get something usable. And just, uh, give me a quick 20 seconds of your lighting setup for most of these. Uh, it won't take more than 20 seconds to explain it. It was, uh, um, primarily backlit with, uh, a speed light shooting through a 22 inch, Easy box. Yep. Um, foam core reflectors from the front. And sometimes we would use another speed light as a little kind of hard catch light kicker. Yep. Uh, and that's, that's pretty much it. Yeah. See, guys, two speed lights and a diffuser and a piece yeah. of foam core. And yeah. The, and I mean, the book, our backgrounds, the book is beautiful. Yeah, thank you. Our backgrounds were, I mean, we used a five-in-one reflector, just shot really shallow depth of field, so it just kind of blew out. We used cardboard. We used construction paper we used uh old vintage newspapers that we shot real shallow so they would just kind of blow out and create these really lush kind of patterns behind everything um yeah it's 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 really pretty fun um so, so where, check where, it out where can they find it uh fadeandblurred.com slash ebooks slash chill okay uh it's five bucks pdf um yeah please go pick it up tell your friends about it you can gift a copy if you're not an ice cream person then i pity you <laughs> But you can you can gift a copy to your family or friends or whatever. I have not tasted any of these. The photography looks beautiful, and if the if the recipes are as good as the photography, then I think you can't go wrong. Yeah, thanks. thanks. Um, hey, you know um, what else? One other thing. Are you yep. done? Are you done with that? Yeah, sure. Okay. I'm done. Uh, I was just going to say, you know, we we were thinking as because people seem to really like this show. 
and, and <laughs> for whatever reason, for whatever reason, they seem to like the show. We yeah, were, I we, mean, our, our traffic, without saying exact numbers, I think it's exceeded anything that you and I thought was going to happen. At yeah, this point. we're 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 getting somewhere, and people, yeah. we get crazy feedback from people, and and it's not just like, hey, we like the show. It's like usually like a. Excuse me, I'm going to take 15 minutes to give you an entire diatribe on what you said last week. Yeah, which is um, great. Which is fantastic, and we love talking about it on the show. Um, we were thinking of it might be fun to uh, make a T-shirt or two for the show. Um, so I just want to know, see if we can get like an unofficial little a thing to see if this is the kind of thing anybody would be interested in. So if you want to just... I'm tweet. lobbying for something with fancy on it. Okay. <laughs> if, if you just want to tweet to, you know, at Bill Wadman or at uh, Jeffrey Sidoris, E-R-Y-D-D-1-R for Or Jeffrey call Sidoris. us now. You or call, call us. And just sort of say, yeah, T-shirt sounds fun. Just so we can get some general idea of if that's yeah. kind of or if, it, if it sounds lame, then say that too. Yeah. Um, but uh, we love feedback. So podcast at ontakingpictures.com. Uh, we have the Twitter, the... Uh, at Bill Wadman and at Jeffrey Sidoris. And then finally, we have the new phone number, which is? 347 687 9411. That's 347 OTP 9411. I was excited to do that. It is kind of exciting. And uh, leave us a message, and maybe we'll use it in next week's show. Yeah. And I what think else that, you got? I think that's good? good. Yeah. All right. All right. All next right. Time. Thanks for listening, everyone. Uh, we do appreciate it, and we will uh, be back again next week. <laughs>